0: My family, God's design. Uh, this is going to be good the next four weeks. God firmly established family from the beginning. And when he saw Adam, he said, "It's not good for you to be alone, But our families are in trouble. Our families are under attack. Satan is not playing games. He's out to destroy our family. So we need to talk about this. We need to talk about God's design for our family, not our plan, not our agenda, but God's plan so that we can defeat the enemy and we can be everything he's called us to be individually but also as a family and as a family of God. Now, listen, disclaimer, don't get upset with me throughout this series. I'm going to talk really straight, and some of this material is not necessarily G-rated. But before you fire off an email to me saying, Brother Allen, I don't know that some of that was appropriate for Sunday morning. Well, listen, your kids are getting it out there. But they're not getting the truth out there. They're getting a twisted version, and it's high time we talk about it in here. So I'm going to, and it's gonna it's gonna be a good series. Um, I hope you'll be here every single week. Next week I'm going to bring the first lady, my wife Kathy, up here with me, and we're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about sexual purity. And talk about marriage. We're gonna have fun. You may hear some stories. She's not here, so I can say that she, she's getting ready for a growth track, but you may hear some stories from her. Don't believe a word <laughs> that she has to say. Uh, it's all made up. And we're gonna talk about some differences between men and women. There's a couple, <laughs> a couple hundred. <laughs> and then in week three, And I wrestled with whether I was going to do this or not. But I I feel like God really wants me to because it does affect our family. We're going to talk about homosexuality. We're going to talk about specifically how the church deals with this very difficult subject. How we approach the gay community. what, What our message should be. And by the way, let me just say before we ever even get there, every single person is welcome in this house, no matter what they're going through, no matter what, no matter what they believe. Um, how many of you know we can uh, we can disagree and still love each other, still respect each other? And that's what we're going to do. Um, and we're going to approach it like we do everything at New Life with grace and truth. With grace and truth. If we don't, we'll make a mistake. And then in our final week, uh, I'm gonna bring Kathy back up again. Um, We're gonna talk about parenting unfiltered. Confronting the social media lie. How many know when you get on Facebook, it ain't all like that? You know, the picture of our family, you know, I'll, come on. So we're going to hit that that last week. And if you're thinking, hey, I'm not a parent, I'll just skip that week. No, no, you, you're going to be. So you need to be here as well. And we're going to talk about that and kind of talk about some other things. So today, though, I want to begin as a foundation with the most well-known famous family in the Bible. And that's the family of Israel, the family of Jacob. And I, I hope that by the end of this text and this story, you're going to feel a lot better about your family. Um, if you don't, then we need to have some extra prayer for you. No, I'm, I'm serious. You're going to be amazed if you, if you don't know the ins and outs of this story. And I, as I was studying for today, there was this song that kept going, this old song that kept going through my head. I was raised down the street at Mount Perrin, and Dr. Walker Used to sing this old song all the time. It's a Bill and Gloria Gaither song, and I'm not a Southern gospel fan, or really, but Gloria Gaither. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Okay, all right. (laughs) Am I in the wrong room? Um, And I, I, yeah, I know the old people. Lisa said she is probably one of the greatest Christian lyricists of our generation. Gloria Gaither, yes, and. She wrote this song many years ago And Dr. Walker used to do it It goes like this Something beautiful Something good All my confusion He understood Listen to this All I had to offer him Was brokenness And strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. Listen, I love the line. It's powerful. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life, out of my family. So our first title for week one is something beautiful. Let me give you some background to our text, to Jacob's family. Of course, his grandfather was Father Abraham, the father of the Jewish race. And then his dad was Isaac, the promised son. Abraham was given the promise several times, beginning in Genesis 12, and it was, listen, 25. 5 years before Isaac came along. And Isaac was a type and shadow of the Messiah. You remember the story even in Sunday school, Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain because God told him to sacrifice him. Of course God stayed his hand, provided the the, the ram in the thicket, and that was a whole picture of Jesus and what he would do in the future. And then Isaac had twin boys, Jacob and Esau that's right twin boys Esau was older by a few minutes he came out first and so it was his right to the birthright and to the blessing and this was a big deal this was a big deal in this culture and because this was a wealthy family if you know the story you know that that Jacob swindled Esau out of not only his birthright but his blessing from the father as well he swindled him out of both things I don't have time to tell the story it's good reading After that, he ran for his life because Esau was going to kill him. And he runs to his family's, uh, to a family member, Laban. And there he falls in love with one of Laban's daughters, Rachel. She's beautiful. And he falls in love with her, and they work out a deal where he works, going to work for seven years to have the hand of Rachel in marriage. Now, Laban had another daughter as well named Leah. She wasn't as attractive, but she was older. So here comes the wedding day, and in that culture, the woman was completely veiled, completely covered, and there was probably some wine involved, a little too much wine involved. And so they have uh, the, the wedding, and then they go in to consummate the, the, the marriage, and then the next, <laughs> the next morning, Jacob rolls over, in Surprise! It's Leah. Bam. So he's furious. He goes to Laban. Laban says, look, I'm sorry, but we have to, you've got to marry her off first. She's the oldest. But if you'll work seven more years, then you can have Rachel. Ladies, how would you appreciate the whole bargaining thing? It's it's terrible. Seven more years, and he does that. He, He works seven more years for Laban. For Rachel's hand in marriage, they're married, and in that period of time, Leah has four boys, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. But then Rachel, they they marry, and she is unable to get pregnant. She's unable to get pregnant. So listen, this is where we pick up. So listen, there's already a ton of tension in this family, a ton of mess and drama before we even start. So that's the picture. Genesis chapter thirty. Verse 1, I'm in the New Living Translation. It says, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. How many of our family fights start with jealousy? In some form or fashion, I'd venture to say probably all of them. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. She was suffering. Come on, I'm being serious. She was really suffering with this. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God? He's the one who has kept you from having children. Great comeback, Jacob. Great way to be a loving husband to your suffering wife. Good job. Then Rachel told him, take my maid, Billa, and sleep with her. She will bear children for me, and through her, I can have a family too. Now, believe it or not, this is not the first time in this family this has happened. Jacob's granddaddy, Abraham, and grandmother, Sarah, were having trouble. God had listened. God had promised them a great nation would be birthed from them, but nothing was happening. She wasn't getting pregnant, so Sarah decided to to force things and and decide for herself and and to rush things, and she gave her servant, Hagar, to Abraham. And Ishmael was born. Ishmael is the father of the Arab race. When Isaac was finally born, these these boys hated each other. And they were were fighting all the time they were together. Listen, they've been fighting ever since. Verse 4, so Rachel gave her servant Billah to Jacob as a wife and he slept with her. Wonder of wonders, Jacob had no problem with this arrangement. He was like, okay. (laughs) Verse 5, Billah became pregnant and presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan for she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. She is using God to justify her mess. And her actions. I, I, I personally, people may argue this, but I don't believe God was anywhere near that. Then Billah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister, and get this, now I'm winning. What? What? This was nothing more than a twisted competition. Between jealous sisters. Number uh, verse 9, meanwhile, it's like the TV shows. Meanwhile, sorry. Leah, y'all didn't get that. Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore, so she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And another big surprise, Jacob, sure, no problem. I mean, it was like there for years, years. Jacob came in from the field every day and was like, all right, which tent? Come on. Really? Okay, all right. Soon, they would if they could. Soon, Zilpah presented him with a son. Leah named him Gad, for she said, How fortunate I am. Then Zilpah gave Jacob a second son, and Leah named him Asher, for she, she said, she said, not God said, she said, What joy is mine. Now the other women will celebrate with me. Leah had her like a squad. Leah had her like cheerleaders going on with this whole thing. Woo, go Leah. It's crazy. Verse 14, One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben, Reuben was the oldest, he was a young adult by this time, oldest of Leah's. Reuben found some mandrakes growing in a field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Rachel begged Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah angrily replied, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now, did Rachel really steal? Rachel was the one that Jacob wanted to begin with. This is it's crazy. But Leah angrily replied, wasn't it enough you stole my husband? Now, will you steal my son's mandrakes too? Now, mandrakes were a root. And they were thought to be a fertility, ancient fertility drug help people get pregnant. They were also a hallucinogen. <laughs> <laughs> Old Reuben wasn't getting these things to get for pregnancy's purpose. He was going to have him a party, I can tell you. I can just tell you right now. But they were really hard to find. So that's why she... Desperately, one of these things. Anything. How many know when you're desperate, you'll do anything? Rachel answered, listen to this. Listen, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. I will let him sleep with you tonight. This is Jacob and Esau all over again. Esau came in from the field famished, hungry. And Jacob had the bowl of soup, the stew, the little soup. And he's begging, "Jacob, give me some of that. I'm starving." Jacob said, "Sure, give me your birthright." They go back and forth and finally Esau says, "Look, what good is a birthright if I'm starving to death?" And you know the rest of that he does. Listen, 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 this pattern. This is a pattern. This pattern of jealousy and competition is a demonic trap. Satan used it then, and he hasn't changed his tactics. He uses it today with our families. You need to listen to me, teenagers. You need to listen to me now. He uses, Satan uses the desires of our flesh to have his way with our families. He he capitalizes on our base human desires and needs. Hunger. How many know that somebody who's starving will do anything? Hunger. Pain. That's why torture isn't always the best answer to get information because people will say anything to make the pain stop. Sex. Sex competition. Satan exploits all of those base desires and needs. Listen, he pushes the buttons, different ones with each one of us until he finds one that works. And then he just keeps pushing. He doesn't stop pushing that one button because that's his name. Do you know Satan Greek is diabalo, Balo, if you, if you know Spanish, Diablo. diabalo, Balo means ball. Dia basically means to throw again and again. Satan, all he does, he looks for something weak in that wall of your life, and he just, he, he, he finds it, and then he just keeps throwing. Come on. He is patient. It may just chip off, but he just keeps throwing over and over and over and over again until it falls down and crumbles. So here's the point. If we live our life out of a need to satisfy our flesh and our base human desires, which God gives us, but if we live out of a need to just satisfy that, we are left open and vulnerable to his attack. And let me, young people, listen, young people, old people, everybody, people. Satan will give you what you want for a season to control you. You need to hear me today. He'll find, he'll push that button until he finds it and then he'll start throwing and he'll give you what you want for a season and then when it's all crumbled and it's all gone and your family's destroyed and you're destroyed, guess what? He's moving on to the next person and he leaves you and your family in the ashes. Of ruin, he could care less. That's his goal. It's who he is, it's his name. Verse 16, so that evening as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him. Listen to what she says. You must come and sleep with me tonight. I have paid for you. What does that sound like to you? Somebody say it. It's okay. <laughs> Somebody said prostitution. Our elder Adrian says gigolo. It's on tape. It's a, you're exactly right. It's prostitution. It's crazy. The enemy is having a field day with this family and they can't even see it. Now, it's obvious to us as we read it, we're like, what? Because we're removed from it. But how many times have you been so deep in a mess in your family, you can't see anything? That's how he works. That's how Satan works. We get so far into a deception, we can't see how ridiculous it is. We can't see how shameful we are acting. We can't see it. We're deceived. That's what he does. Leah says, I have paid for you with some mandrakes that my son found, so that night (laughs) he slept with Leah. Surprise. Jacob's like, sure. Did you know this was in the Bible? Had you really? No, 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 no. I know you read through it and really quick. Did you ever stop and think about this? You don't have to watch Young and the Restless. Read Genesis. Verse 17. And God answered Leah's prayers. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. She named him Issachar. For she said, again, not God said, she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. What? Deception. Deception. I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading, God is merciful for not wiping you off the planet. Verse 19, Then Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. She named him Zebulun, for she said, God has given me a good reward. Get this, now my husband will treat me with respect. Oh, that's exactly how we should get our husband's respect, right? By prostituting somebody, by paying somebody off. Come on. Now my husband will treat me with respect for I have given him six sons. Later she gave birth to a daughter named Dinah. Poor Dinah. She's like a footnote. (laughs) Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. Listen to what she says. God has removed my Disgrace. I want to get real serious for a second she said that because that's how she felt she felt disgraced because she could not get pregnant ladies I know for some of you this is extremely sensitive and it's painful because you've gone through this or going through this and I do listen I do not take that lightly but listen your self worth is not determined by your ability to have children it is a beautiful gift of God listen I have close friends not acquaintances close friends who've been through this very difficult journey And they eventually did choose adoption and have a beautiful family today. But ladies, listen to me. Ladies, please. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of Almighty God. And your self-worth comes from God and God alone. Now, that's easy to say. It's easy for me to say. It's harder to receive. But I'm going to say it anyway. In hopes that you will allow the Holy Spirit, if you haven't already, to come in and heal and give you that perspective of what I'm trying to tell you. Only he can do that. And I'm praying that he does. Rachel felt disgraced because she couldn't have children up to this point. And in that culture, it was even worse. Because that's really, it's terrible, but that's all that the ladies, really women, were looked for. And that's, if she didn't, couldn't do that, she, she was worthless. Of course, we know that's not true she really, really, it would torment her. It robbed her of her joy. Verse 24, Rachel named him Joseph, for she said, May the Lord add yet another son to my family. And then later we won't read it, but she would also have Benjamin. Now listen, this story makes the craziest soap opera, as we've already said, look like the Brady Bunch. I mean, you've got jealous sisters married to the same man. That, in of itself, I mean, just to stop there. God never established that. God never told them to do that. In the beginning, God said, God put the family together with one man and one woman. That's marriage. That's where a family begins. You've got jealous sisters married to the same man, and then they have complicit full knowledge, adultery. And then you have two manipulative, selfish women engaging in some weird, twisted competition for the heart of a spineless, sex crazed man. Now that's in every soap opera. I understand that I'll give you that. And then you have this mystical root root, the mandrake, that's used for this you know bargaining tool and this prostitution-like trade-off. And then through this sick competition, through this mess, this drama. This dysfunction, 13 kids are born, 12 boys and one girl that we know of. If we get past the drama, the mess, the chaos, the dysfunction, what do we have? Well, f- first of all, we have a sad story. Does anybody not think this is, and this is a sad story? Two women who were desperately trying to win the favor of a man in all the wrong ways for all the wrong reasons. And then we have a man who never one time stood up as the priest of his home and said enough is enough. And then to make matters worse, all three of them tried to play the God card. All three of them tried to say, well, God did this, and God's in this, and God's blessing me for this. God wasn't anywhere near that. And sometimes, listen, look at me. We do the same thing. We play the God card when we get ourselves into a mess and we put God in the middle of it, try to blame God for it. We get eyeball deep in these messes that we make, and then we start justifying things and try to use his name. It must be his will. Must be, come on. Listen to your pastors. Look at Everybody look this, this way. If your actions don't line up with God's word, it's not God. Let me say it one more time. If your actions, the way you're living, the way you're acting does not line up with the word of God, then leave his name out of it. Let me take it a step further. If you go and get a word from the Lord, oh, now I'm really meddling. If you go get a word from the Lord from somebody and it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not God. I don't care how good it sounds. I don't care how, how it justifies things. I don't care if they're your best friend. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not the word. It's not a word from the Lord. Come on. Now, this, this, this true account, this is, this, is a, this is not a fairy tale. You couldn't make this stuff up. <laughs> Come on, really. This true account is, is about as sad and crazy and sick and twisted as it gets. But think about this for a minute before we close. Who were these people? Who were these people? Were they heathens, pagans, who didn't know any better? Were they just another family living in the Middle East? Everybody look. This, they were the family of God. They were the family of Abraham. They were the family of promise. From this dysfunctional family would arise the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. These boys that come out of this twisted competition would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And who was Israel? Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. And then who would eventually be born from the lineage of this family? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't you think, come on, I know where I'm going. So don't you think that if God can birth a nation from this mess of a family, that he can also do something amazing through yours? Don't you think that if God can produce the Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, our Savior, from this broken family, that he can produce something beautiful out of yours? hmm The big idea is just that. God can. Everybody say, God can. God can can make something beautiful out of your family. And God can make something beautiful out of my family. Family is a gift from God. No matter how chaotic No matter how dysfunctional, no matter how messy, never forget, family is a gift. And it's time that we take the gloves off and stand up to the enemy because our families are worth fighting for. Do you understand me? Our families are worth fighting for. For Whatever we have to do, whatever we have to change, whichever direction we need to adjust and move, it's worth it because our families are at stake and they are worth fighting for. If you're in a situation this morning and you have been like like they were, just totally blinded by the circumstances to not see what's happening, that's my job this morning was to just peel that back. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit is is touching every heart and talking to you about those adjustments that need to be made so that our families are overcomers, that our families walk in purpose, that our families are used. God wants to use our families to reach this city. God wants to use the family of God here to reach this city. But if we're a mess all the time, and there's, there's, he can't. God wants to bring health to our families. God wants to bring health to this church so that we can make a difference. It's my family, not Satan's. Say that with me. It's my family, not Satan's. Say it again. It's my family, not Satan's. My family, God's design. My family. God's design the family of Jacob allowed Satan to manipulate them for a long time this did not happen overnight it was over years and years and years the enemy's plan was to destroy the royal line of Israel Satan knows the prophecies better than we do he knew what was coming he knew who was coming my God newsflash He's still trying to destroy the family of Israel. The difference is now we are a part of that family. So if Satan's trying to destroy them, he's just trying to destroy us because we have been grafted in. We have been adopted into that family through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are a part of the family of Israel. We are a part of that family. So Satan has his target on us. I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm trying to awaken us. Come on. I'm trying to awaken us. We live behind enemy lines and he's prowling around looking who he can destroy and he's going to Destroy the family first. And we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Listen, listen, listen. God uses our stories. The victories, the failures, the high points, the disappointments, the winning, and the losing. My God is big enough to use it all for His glory. This scripture that I'm about to read is the, probably the most often misquoted scripture in the Word of God. Romans 8 28. And we know that in all things, say, in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. First of all, this statement is not true for everyone. If you like to pray this over, your, over people and, and over just anyone, you don't do that. Don't, don't, don't walk up to a total stranger who you don't know if they're a Christian or not and say, all oh, things work to No. This statement applies to those who love him. Who are called according to his purpose. This is for believers in Jesus and secondly, what when Paul says in all things God works for the good he doesn't mean that all things are good so the worst thing you can say to somebody who's just lost a child or a loved one or whatever, all things work they want to slap you in the face, I would too because not all things are good a car wreck is never good War is never good. Poverty is never good. Cancer is never good. But God can use it all for our good. If we love him, if we trust him, if we consecrate ourselves before him and follow him and dedicate our families to him, I'm speaking this, it's on the board. I'm speaking it as prophecy to somebody. Out of the ashes, God can make something beautiful. Somebody receive that right now. Out of the ashes, God can make something beautiful. Would you stand with me? Close your eyes.